Welcome to the So She Is podcast. I am your host, Katie Neary, and this podcast is your one-stop shop for all things manifestation, neuroscience, spiritual evolution, and how to tap into your infinite potential and live a life beyond your wildest dreams. I know that you clicking play today is no accident, and I am so grateful for you being here. With that said, let's get this party started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to So She Is. Thank you for pushing play today. I am so grateful to be here with you. If you are new, welcome. If you are a returner, welcome back. I just have the most incredible episode in store for you guys. This was such a gift and I feel like while there's so many tangible takeaways and things that you can run with and tools and advice to use in your actual life. If anything, I feel like this episode feels like a breath of fresh air of like, oh my god, I felt all those things like I didn't know other people felt like that or like, wow, I relate to that. I guess maybe I'm acting like a people pleaser or just there's so many golden nuggets in this episode and I am so grateful to have had Callie on. You know, it's one of the like that friendship, this friendship I formed with Callie is one of the best things that like So We Are, starting So We Are has really brought me because that's literally how we met. She made a reel on Instagram and I, no one had made a reel yet because she came to the first disco ever and I was like, thank you. And then we started talking and then we just like kept talking and then we like hung out and walked on the beach and now this is our second episode together which is just so crazy and so beautiful and I cannot wait for you guys to just take it in. And she is promoting a launch of a course she is offering which is called Venom which she will talk all about and I just wanted to do the prequel instead of the end the ending about it. I just wanted to pre-hype it up and really encourage you all to at least go check it out. Go check out her Instagram. Go deep dive through the sales page and see like what feel if it feels good because I just did one of her workshops, which was like a tiny piece of what Venom's gonna be, and it was incredible. Not only was it just incredible, like all the tools that we did or all the practices we did, but it was incredible to actually dedicate like an hour and a half about that was about the time about an hour and a half to myself on a more like just like a weekend morning and sometimes it's like those little obligations that feel like oh I don't want to do that or oh I don't want to have anything on my calendar oh but wow like now I am intentionally scheduling things or signing up for things that require me to show up because showing up for yourself feels fucking fantastic I am here to remind you of that because it is so easy to sit on your couch and scroll and go through the motions of life. But let me tell you, that'll lead you in a place where you're like, what is anything? And it is in the times where you reconnect to yourself, you show up for yourself, you say yes, you follow through, you learn to trust yourself, that magic happens. And magic has been happening over here, you all, you guys, like, like, I legally can't talk about some of it, but it's just like, what the fudge? Like, this shit works. Like, owning who you are, stepping into your power, showing up for yourself, fully expressing yourself, just doing the damn thing, trusting in yourself. If you listen to Makosi, focusing on the creation, not on the lack thereof. Like, oh. It works. It works. Taking care of yourself works. And the universe will reward you for that. Energetically, things shift. What vibration you're showing up as is what you're going to get back. I hate to break it to you. And I can now say this. I had a tough summer. I can now say this like so much with more confidence, more vigor, more like oomph. Because I just had that period of contrast of the opposite of my life just not being anywhere near alignment and I will make a solo episode soon kind of just diving into that and like what breaking out of that's looked like but all I'm saying is do something today 
and maybe that's signing up for Venom, maybe it's literally going on a walk in nature that you can dedicate to yourself, that you can make the promise and commit to it, that you can show up fully, that you can leave your phone at home or put it in airplane mode or personal do not disturb. I love that feature. Just do something to make yourself feel good and to reconnect to yourself, literally. As simple as it sounds, it's just so game-changing. One thing before we jump into today's episode is the fact that you will maybe hear some background noises at times. It might sound like some rumbling or some shaking. When we scheduled this interview, we were not aware that the air show was beginning and Callie lives in Huntington Beach, which is right where all the where all of it's happening. And so at times, like her literal house was shaking and windows were rumbling, rattling. And so you may hear some of that. I tried to edit it out, but at times it just wasn't, you just can't. And I think at one point she says like, can you hear that? And I think I say, it's okay. And I thought I edited that out, but I missed it. And then every... (laughs) the editing app, all of it. I know Mercury just got out of retrograde, but like, it's like I'm having that reverse-isms. Like now that it's direct, I like can't make technology work. And so I am surrendering to the technology. I'm surrendering to the process. I am serving you all a platter of my best this week. And I hope it's good enough for you all. If you don't hear any noises or don't get distracted by anything, I love you. Thank you. And if you do, I hope you can just have grace with me and take in the wisdom and just ignore <laughs> ignore the rumbles. So without further ado, here is the one and only amazing and beautiful Callie Klug. Hello, Callie. Thank you so much for coming on So She Is. I'm so grateful to have you back and here for another episode and to talk about all the things you've been up to since the last time, because shockingly, I feel like so much has happened in just a short few months since you've been on the last time. Definitely. Honestly, since I've known you for the six months that I have, you have been forced into an evolution of sorts. And a lot of healing, a lot of pain, a lot of grief has happened. And first, I just want you to know that I respect the heck out of you for the bravery, like how brave you've been to when you face this turmoil that's come up in your life. Have you always been so brave when it comes to facing these feelings and emotions and healing? Or is this like a learned skill of yours? That's a good question. I feel like there's this quote that says confidence lies on the other side of doing. So I feel like that's true for resilience too. It's like, I did not have this resilience a year ago or like five years ago. So yeah, I think it's kind of when you go through stuff that just sucks, you kind of just have to get the resilience to get through it and to like get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it's like into the fire. You just have to. I feel like a lot of what you've gone through includes boundary setting and really like sticking to your boundaries and trusting your gut and following your instincts along with other things that are completely out of your control. But I feel like boundaries have kind of been in your control in a positive way. How can someone evaluate their boundaries that they currently have and adjust? like you know boundaries is kind of a popular word right now Mm -hmm. oh this is my boundary and it almost has like that tone to it that like people don't take it seriously or like Mm -hmm. that it's used in just like a fluffy way so what does how we'll go with how how could someone like adjust their boundaries or even evaluate their boundaries and then what does boundary even mean to you Yeah, I feel like boundary has kind of become like the word trigger where people don't take it really seriously. Like they're, I don't know. I know like a few years ago, the word trigger started to become mainstream and people started to like become more aware of what a trigger is. But then at the same time, there's like this, what do you call it? When there's like a gap, I can't remember. I can't remember the word for it, but there's a gap of understanding between what it actually is and Mm. kind of the like mainstream understanding of it. So like with trigger, I know people are like started saying a few years ago, did that trigger you kind of like in a teasing way or like obviously trigger something really serious, but I think boundaries has kind of become the same thing where 
people don't really know what it means, but we like, we use it almost overuse it like I've had people say like oh my boundary is um, something that's totally not a boundary like there's an example I'm trying to remember what it was but oh someone said it was for an event and I know you know like it was for an event and the person hosting it said oh my boundary is that we all wear the same color and I'm like all right well that is certainly not a boundary that is like a um a guideline or a rule but a boundary from how I understand it is like what you will tolerate in your life so it's not even like oh my boundary is that you treat me like this like no I it boundaries like you can't control other people but my boundary is that if you treat me like this I'm out of here I'm gonna leave or I'm not gonna speak to you if you're speaking to me like this like I'm gonna I'm gonna become unavailable to you so that's how I think boundaries kind of truly are meant to be. I know there's a lot of interpretation, but I would say if you're like, if you're new to boundaries or even if you're not, a good place to start is looking at where you complain the most. Because a lot of times where we complain is where we are expressing anger, which is anger is a sign that boundaries have been crossed. So expressing anger around something that has crossed your boundary. And maybe you didn't even know that you had a boundary around this thing, but your body and your, your anger is this signal that like, for example, if you're always complaining, like, oh my gosh, I'm over, like, I'm working so much. My boss keeps asking me to stay late, like da, 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 da. Then maybe your boundary around that is, well, I'm getting paid salary to work nine to five. So I'm leaving at 5 p.m. and I'm unavailable after that. Or if you're complaining about, like, I know something for me was like feeling like a therapist for people Mm. and like feeling like there wasn't even a back and forth. Like, and I'd be like, I just feel like this person, they call me when they need something. And then they like, don't even ask how I'm doing or they ask at the end and they're like, oh, I have have to go. And Mm. so for me, that boundary would be like either because that's the thing you can't change people and I'm not even gonna you know so you can say like I need more expressing my your need like hey I need more of of a back and forth in conversation or if they don't have the capacity for that which a lot of people don't have capacities to honor everyone's boundaries that's why we're not all friends then you remove yourself or you take space so pretend that you and I, let's say I'm the friend that calls you all the time and just kind of takes your energy, but doesn't fill your cup back up. Can we like do like a little like role play of like how you would approach me with that? Because I probably sure. being the friend who's just dumping, appreciate you for listening, but probably don't think about you and your needs if I'm not inquiring about them. If I'm right, you as my trash can to throw my shit in, then it's probably not like, I'm probably not concerned about how you feel about me because you were there for me. You supported me. You're my friend. So how did, how would you go about approaching me if I was doing that to you? Yeah. I mean, I've literally had this happen a few times. So like I, the first thing I do is realizing like, okay, this person, like you said, you can't like have someone be interested in you. Like this person is not very interested in me or they're only interested in me when they're getting something from me. And that makes me feel taken advantage of. So like step one, like recognizing that in yourself, like how does that make you feel in this? For me, the first step in a relationship like that, because I just took space. So like I wouldn't respond every time they reached out to me anymore. I would like either take longer time getting back to them. It kind of got to the point where I, yeah, I just took more space. I really recommend if you are setting a boundary with someone, like maybe don't say like, this is my boundary because that doesn't go over very well. <laughs> like being on the right. giving and receiving side of that, I would probably say like, if you were my friend that I felt a little taken advantage of, I would probably, if it, if it, that's the thing, you have to have a sense of safety in that relationship to even be able to express that. Like, if I feel like you're going to blow up on me for expressing a need, like, bam, that's, that relationship is not safe. I would just take space okay. and eventually maybe it would fizzle out completely. But if you if I felt safe enough with you, I would probably say something like, Hey, Katie, I, I love being there for you. And I, I really am glad, you know, I know you're going through a hard time and I really want to be there for you. Sometimes I just don't have the capacity to be there for you fully. And sometimes I'd really like if you could be there for me too. 
Like I, I want more support as well. Yeah. It's tricky. Cause then it's like, how does that person respond from there? Sometimes people, depending on how you set the boundary too, if it's really kind, like I've gotten there over time, whereas before I was like, when you're a people pleaser, you do this overswing where you set really rigid boundaries and there's nothing bad about that. It just normally doesn't bode super well. But once you can set kind boundaries that are well-received to the best of your ability. If someone is like, like I actually had this happen with a friend where that happened and she was like, well, we're just not compatible because I think friendship, you have to be there for people all the time and you just have a different version of friendship. And I was like, okay. So it just takes care of itself basically. Yeah. Sometimes like I don't, the trash takes itself out sometimes like straight up and it's not saying like those people are trash, but it's like, Sometimes those people will just remove themselves from your life on their own. Whereas like, yeah, sometimes, yeah, if, if you hear that. No, you're good. Okay. Yeah. So it depends. It's like such a case by case thing and having safety in your body and like the confidence to understand, okay, this really doesn't make me feel good and helps you to also not be gaslit or Like if they respond, they're like, no, that's what a friend is supposed to be. Like Callie, like you're not being a good friend. Then you, when you have the safety and the confidence in your body to say, okay, well, I understand that's what you think a good friend is like, but for me, that makes me feel not good. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And I, my brain went in nine directions of where we could go. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like maybe my audience is like half and half of chronic people pleasers who the even just the slightest thought of implementing this and the possibility not even the it happening just the possibility of hurting someone's feelings or making someone feel uncomfortable or less than or like they're not important is crippling so but I also really want to go into cultivating that safety in the body and maybe they're kind of tied together but what would you say we'll start here with the person who is afraid to hurt someone's feelings or yeah, can't even get the words out because like, well, that's going to make them feel bad. And then they're going to guilt me and like all these things and like almost like powerless, like, Oh, I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you kind of, what would be your advice? Cause I feel like you, yeah. your story tells that you have been in this position before. And so mm-hmm. what do you wish you would have known or had given advice Well, there's so many layers there with that. It's like people pleasers by nature. So just like even rewind to like what a people pleaser is and how a people pleaser is like born, like a people pleaser normally is someone who grew up in a home where they had to manage their parents' emotions by playing a role. I'm listening to this audiobook by Jeanette McCurdy. I'm glad my mom died. It's so good. Oh my gosh. And she talks about how she was like acting was like, she like knew exactly how to act because she was like, I was already acting every single moment with my mom. Like -hmm. I knew exactly how to act to keep her happy. And like, she could read her so well. So a lot of us who are like people pleasers, we're like, we're really good at empathy. Like we are great at understanding people often to the demise of our own mental health or emotional health sometimes. Cause we're so compassionate. Like I can see everyone's side of the story. That's never been my problem. And most people pleasers problem. Cause we can really see where people are coming from. So people pleasing, essentially, it's like, I would almost ask the question of like, is this genuine empathy or are you trying to manage someone's emotions so that they don't get mad at you or guilt you? So it's like, there's a difference. Like, obviously it get. It, I also think it gets to a point where it's just, I'm not responsible for your emotions. And if you are negatively affecting me and I come to you and I say, Hey, I'm hurt by this. Those are just the natural consequences of your actions. And I'm not coming with intent to hurt. I'm coming with intent to protect myself. And it just kind of gets to the point where it's like, I'm in a place right now in my life where I don't care. I'm not responsible. I've spent my whole life caring so much about 
non-harming and not hurting people. And it's not like now I'm seeking out violence, but I am not responsible for anyone else's feelings. I'm not, I've, I've done that role and it's not even effective. Right. So empathy, like when you said real empathy, empathy versus like trying to manage someone's reactions or feelings like that hit home because there's such a difference there. Like, what do you think like a good example of that would be like of what pure empathy would look like? Would it be like someone's going through something really tough and you're holding space? Like, I think you can actually have both at the same time. Like this is one thing my therapist taught me that I swear was the best thing she ever said was like, there can be an and instead of a, but so Mm -hmm. like, if I'm like for this, for example, there's this girl I had that was like the cornerstone of my therapy for a long time. And so part of it was like realizing her family situation was so shit. And I had so much compassion for her. And even right now I do. Like I look back and I'm like, oh my God, like her mom was so cruel to her. And like, I am, I feel terrible for her. I'm so sad that she dealt with that. And I used to say, but she really hurt me. And now I say, I really feel bad for her. And she went through a shit situation and she hurt me so deeply. So it's like two things can be true at the same time. I think like you can have hold compassion for someone, especially like family members. Like I understand the intergenerational trauma that my family has experienced deeply. And I was also deeply hurt. So it's like, you can hold those two truths simultaneously. Yeah, that's really powerful. I kind of want to go backtrack a little bit because you mentioned role self and I, I'm assuming there's a true self too. I've heard of this concept, but I'd love if you dove into it because I know you also talk about this in your program Venom that we're going to talk about. And so I'd love if you dove into role self versus true self, how to all the details. Yeah. So the role self, I got these terms. I mean, they're, you know, there's different terms for different schools of thought and philosophies, but I got these from the book for the parents, for the adult children of emotionally immature parents. And it talks about the role self, which is that self that we create to be loved as a child. It's really unconscious. It's really a survival mechanism. Like we, like I said, if our parents are emotionally volatile and not self-regulating, and they look to us to regulate them, we learn how to do that really effectively and really efficiently. And we essentially create this self that is so not who we truly are because it's so catered to other people's needs. And this looks different for everyone, but for me, it looked like being super easy like if I like came over to your house, they'd be like, I'm so sorry, but can I have a glass of water? <laughs> like being like the easiest guest, like having no needs. I'm so sorry. Where's your bathroom? I'm sorry. I have to pee. I'm sorry. I have a bladder. And being for me, it looked like, and it looks different for everyone, depending on how, kind of what that, what your parent wanted you to be. But for me, it looks like being really supportive, a therapist to my friends. Yeah. In So the role self is a self that isn't authentic to us, but we've created them to be palatable and loved. And so the true self isn't necessarily the opposite of the role self in terms of what it looks like, but in terms of what it feels like, it's the opposite. It's, It's who we truly are. And a lot of us, we have to go really far back to like, when we were three or four or five years old, like, what did you like to do? For me, I like took up space. I climbed trees. I yelled when I was mad, I was mad. I liked just playing Barbies and taking baths and like all these things. And it's who you truly are and who, what your desires truly are. And when we've spent so many years as the role self, we can actually not know what our true self is like. Like I'm on the path right now of rediscovering my true self because you've tailored so much of maybe how you talk, what you do, where you work, where you live, how you decorate your house, what you wear to this role self that 
there's almost can be an identity crisis when you're moving from the role self to the true self. Cause you're like, what do I actually want? Like I've don't, I've given that away for so many years. I don't even know. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. I, it makes me think about TikTok and I went back just now to look, but it's gone. Cause it was your story where it was like, when you spent so many years, do you remember what it was, what it said? Wait, which one? Oh yeah. It's like, oh yeah. When you've spent so many years being like the good daughter, the easy friend and like all these things. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, my whole life was built on, on just being being that. Yeah. Yes. I totally feel that. And I actually feel like I'm in a re self-discovery phase at the moment too, kind of like abruptly. Like, I don't know. We both had very interesting summers and I feel like it's kind of stripped me down to like, what? (laughs) Just what? Like, what am I? Who am I? What do I actually want? What's the bigger picture versus just like trying to survive and like make everyone else like happy, which I don't really feel like I'm doing, but I feel as a child, I always wanted the attention to be like the star, like just like the love, the praise, but like, I don't know. I'm just like stripping all that back. And I feel like I'm in a very similar re self-discovery phase. And so I feel like, you know, being like learning about yourself and like you said, learning to trust your body and trust your instincts and trust your gut, even though it's like an oversaid phrase, but it's so true. That's why it's oversaid is like, how would you suggest that one learns to do this? And again, another plug for Venom. I know you guys work on this in depth, but what would be like a sneak peek or any wisdom you want to share about like you know, beginning that journey of trusting your body, of trusting your instincts and stuff. Yeah. Well, I just shared this on my TikTok to very mixed reviews and I'll share why too, but it's this practice called the no fawn walk. And I fawning is people pleasing. Fawning is the fourth trauma response that propels us to engage with people we don't actually feel safe around. So when you practice the no fawn walk, and this is to be done like a meditation. So you don't have to be, I mean, for me now, I try to practice it often, but it, it can be done mindfully and with a sense of introspection of like self-inquiry. So when you're walking in a public space, put on your RBF, your resting bitch face, and just don't look at anyone and don't engage anyone and don't smile and don't say good morning it really the whole purpose of this is to you'll notice if you're a conditioned people pleaser that it might feel weird at first because you're so used to like someone coming hi and it's like that is not an authentic smile for me sometimes sometimes it is but you notice how much you perform for people when you start doing this you notice how much you engage with people you don't really feel like engaging with And then you start to notice, and this is the big part of it, I think, what genuinely lights you up. So when I'm just like walking straight face through the grocery store and I see like a really cute baby in a car and I can't help but smile, that is something that I know, okay, this authentically, I really am enjoying this. Or if someone like says something funny to me and I laugh like naturally, I'm like, okay, my, I genuinely feel safe talking to this person and I'm not propelled to engage with them just because I, my body is in a constant state of threat basically. Mm -hmm. And people in the comments had some like, (laughs) I think there was some interesting things happening in the comments actually. Like I had people saying, our community is already so disconnected. And if we start doing this, like people will be even more disconnected. And well, a smile can go a long way for someone, a stranger having a bad day. Like I'm going to keep smiling at people. And I, so that I say, number one, I don't think, first of all, this is a meditation. And I talked to Oliver about this yesterday. And he's like, that's like saying someone sitting in meditation by themselves for five minutes is gonna tear the fabric of community because they're sitting alone in introspection for five minutes a day. It's like, okay, guys, come on, like, let's get real here. And then also, I think just the internalized responsibility to manage strangers' states of being, that is people-pleasing. They do not do that shit in Europe. 
people do not, if they use smile at someone in Europe, they will think that you're drunk or want to have sex with them. Like it is cultural and it is internalized trauma that we think that we have to, I don't care. I don't fucking know Paul with his golden retriever walking towards me. I don't know him. Why should I manage? Why should I give my energy to manage his emotional state? Right. So I think there was a lot of internalized people pleasing in the comments. And I thought that was interesting too. Right. And it's not like you said, like you said, you could even do this exercise for five minutes. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be your whole time. Like if it feels no, good. or let's say you genuinely like smiling at strangers, like just try it for five minutes, like whatever. And see if you genuinely it. do. Yeah. I'll tell you if you really feel. do like smiling at your strangers. If it's a guilt feeling that comes up or if it's like that excited baby feeling, I yes. feel like that would be so interesting. Cause I'm sure people who, I mean, I didn't have a pull either way of like what I felt. Cause I don't really, I am pretty focused. Like I go on runs all the time outside. Like I don't look at people like that's just, that, that's not really my nature, but it would be interesting in a grocery store where you do feel like you need to like have some form of energy exchange with even the cashier of like, hi. Big, yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I love you. What do you, yeah, mean? right. <laughs> but like they, you don't have to be rude. It's not no. to be rude. I think people confuse that. And like it's like, if you think, right. And if you think it's just keeping your energy to yourself is rude, then, then what is, what's that about? I don't know. That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe ask what that is. If, if, if you think that just walking through a grocery store straight faced is rude, then. Or threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, so going to tear the fabric of our culture, then maybe, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> ask yourself some questions. I mean, I don't write know. Maybe send us an email. Every, yeah. Write in. <laughs> Tell us what you think. So I kind of want to just switch a little bit and I want to talk about because I feel like a lot of the work you do is based around fear and shame. And those are huge words and huge topics and they're so um, common. So how can, and they feel horrible in the body. Let's not even like, let's just start there. Like shame is a horrible feeling. Like even when I said out loud and kind of like thought about the, what shame entails, like it's just so icky. So how would you advise someone to go about working with their shame or addressing their shame because I, and I understand like there's so many levels and layers and there's so many depths to individual trauma. So like, it doesn't have to be like worst case scenario shame. It could literally be, who knows the shame you feel for not being nice to the cashier, you know, like we could go even like surface level. Cause I know people have some deep stuff, so we could go surface level and we can go even go to deep shame, but I just know shame can go very low. Like there's like people go their whole life hiding secrets because they're ashamed. And so I know it's a sensitive topic. So I just was so curious how you approach it. Yeah. I think Brene Brown says something about shame, something like shame cannot like exist in like cold, dark environments. Like it, it festers when you keep it a secret. And so when you expose it to the light is when it starts to die. So I think just exposing it to the light by like telling a trusted friend or like I have a friend with an eating disorder and she used to always like keep it to herself whenever it would flare up and lately she's just been sending me a text or telling me like hey today I feel like I don't want to eat and just like getting that out it like brings it removes a layer of the shame because it's like then you're able to be witnessed validated like that's okay like thank you for telling me and it can't grow as fast or as deeply as it would when it's hidden in the dark so I think that's why also I'm having like an epiphany moment I think that's why my content triggers people a lot (laughs) because it's I'm like talking about things that you're not really supposed to talk about sometimes like anger being okay and stuff like that but yeah I would say if you're looking to start working with shame, honestly, I would say join Venom, which is my new program. It's like, we're really going to be going super deep into shadow work, which is essentially all of the things that you reject about yourself, often because of shame. It could be shame. Normally shame comes from an outside source. So like religion or parents or whatever growing up, 
that you were not allowed to have, be, or feel. Sexuality is in a lot of people's shadow. Anger is in a lot of people's shadow, especially people pleasers and even boundaries. And so we'll be doing a lot of shadow work in this course where somatic shadow work. So working on the level of the body where we'll be focusing on understanding the beauty and the gifts of these things that we like anger. I talk a lot about anger and like there's a lot of shame around anger for people pleasers because often anger was not a safe emotion for us to have. Like what happens when you're mad, when you're a kid, like you get put in a corner on timeout alone. Like it basically tells you your anger is unacceptable. It's unsafe for you to have because you'll be ostracized from the group. So don't have it, don't show it or else you're a weirdo and you'll be like put away. So we do a lot of integration work where we understand that it is a gift and understanding that the body is always doing its best to protect us. I think that for me, the, the shame cannot exist when I recognize that my body has always been doing the best it could to protect me. And that's a lot of the level that we work on is the biology of trauma, which is the level of how it functions in the body. And so I recently was a part of your grief circle, the alchemy of grief, and I absolutely loved it. And I went in without maybe a specific, like, it's not like my fiance had someone die in her life, like someone very important, but you know, that was more me supporting her. It wasn't my like direct death, but so like when I went in, I just kind of went in like to support you open-heartedly, like, we'll just see what we get. I have never been a part of a course or no, I wasn't a course. I've never been a part of like a program where it's all body-based. Like everything we did was, it wasn't Callie sitting there lecturing and telling us on a slideshow with bullet points about grief and what you probably feel and anything. It was cameras off exercises, tapping into the body. And that was so incredible. So is that similar to what venom is offering because I sometimes of course you think it's more educational at least I do and so I'd love if you went into like kind of what people could expect yeah so yeah it's going to be similar in the sense of like there is a certain level of lecture because I think it's important to understand the like what is happening in my body where like why am I fawning like it's nice to understand on the level of the mind and have what is going on yeah and have a language to describe it and to say oh okay that's me this is what I was doing or this is what my body was doing but frankly (laughs) I have gone through so much heaviness in my life this summer that I couldn't stand people telling me how I felt or I'm trying to think how to like put this into words. I lost a lot of trust in other people thinking they knew how I felt and other people thinking they knew how I should heal. Like I had so many people just telling me like in their own way, well, you, have you tried mushrooms? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And it's like, I'm like, just lay off. Like (laughs) I, I am doing the best I can. And I'm doing like, my body knows better than you. And like, when we're in a course or I'm teaching a program, your body knows better than me for your situation. So I'm not going to sit up here and tell you, this is what you are feeling. And this is how you need to heal. Like, fuck no, let's go in and ask the wisdom of your body that is so wise and knows exactly what you need. It's known for your whole life. It's gotten you this far and we'll ask your body what's going on through meditation, through breathing, through visualization, through actual conversation with the body. Like what, what does it need? And I'll even start my yoga classes like that a lot. Like put your hands over a space that you feel like is calling to you through sensation. Do you feel constriction? Are you feeling anxious somewhere? And then ask that part of the body, what do you need from me? Like, you know, better than me. Like, I don't even like setting intentions for yoga classes anymore, because what if my intention is we're going to push today, but your body's like, I need a break. I need rest. So it's like, ask your body and that'll be your intention. So that's like my teaching style is because the body can't be gaslit. 
Like, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, this is what you need. This is how you feel. Your body is like, to me, the body is like the, the God of like, you. it's inarguable. If something makes you uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. Right. And what are some of those, like, let's say, like, I know personally for me, I have had a tough summer health-wise, as you know, and I've been working through some traumatic memories coming up. I've been working through literal stress coming up. I've been working through positive overwhelm, like just so many different things that now that I'm on the men's and like got over the hill, I feel like I have a new access to my body. And I've been noticing where this knot lives and it lives in my upper stomach in between my ribs, but I'm learning what it is more than thinking it's a symptom, but that takes a ton of self-awareness, a ton of patience, a ton of pushing, like not pushing through, but doing the work to like understand myself better. Now, I don't know everybody else's journey, but I now can have a relationship to this spot in my stomach and know it's more of like a warning signal. Like we don't feel safe or something like that for someone who maybe, but I wouldn't have known that two months ago. (laughs) So for someone who maybe is just starting, how could you start to cultivate connecting those parts of the body. I know you're also part of like the somatic parts work. So if you want to talk about that, you could also talk about that. I just think it's fascinating because even when you say like, oh, the body's the God, the body's the wisdom, like all of different things go through my head and I can feel it in different parts of me. And I just think it's, I'd love if we dove in. Yeah. So the body, its language is through symptoms and sensations. So just like you're saying like that, knot in your stomach, like that's your body trying to tell you something. And like, like I said, I'm not going to be the one to be like, well, I think it's because of this trauma you had when like, I don't fucking know. No one knows. Like, you know, I mean, like maybe a therapist is the most qualified to who has your whole like history to say, do you think maybe blah, blah, blah. But like most people like don't know. So it's like, that would be something that you go in and ask, like, what is this? What, why, when does this come up for me? I have chronic pain in my neck and Mm -hmm it's mostly gone, but it will flare up. Um, like I had a flare up this week cause I'm starting my period. I don't know if it was like connected to anything else, but normally when I ask my chronic pain, like, okay, well, this is like screaming, especially if it's an intense sensation, spotty, like screaming at you, what do you need? My neck normally says rest. Like, mm. I feel like I get this pain when I start to overextend myself socially, like I'm an introvert. So if I start pushing it, it's like this pain comes in and is like tapping the brakes or asking me to tap the brakes. But yeah, I mean, even like for an example, like when you are hanging out with someone, a somatic therapist like said this one time and it blew my mind. Like if you're hanging out with someone and afterwards you leave them and you're like, oh, that was so nice. Cheryl's always such a good time. I really like Cheryl, blah, blah, blah. But you're like, body feels like tight and anxious and maybe like a little nauseous or something like that you might think you like Cheryl maybe you like Cheryl but your body feels unsafe with her for whatever reason so things like that are ways the body is trying to communicate with us and tell us like this isn't for me or this is for me and uh, yeah Like for me, I've started looking at my body almost like a little kid, like almost like a separate entity to myself of like, well, I might think I like Cheryl, but if I had a little kid and they were like, I don't like hanging out with Bobby, I wouldn't be like, shut the fuck up. Like you're going to go hang out with Bobby. Like, like I wouldn't do that. Like that would be so mean and so bypassing what they want. So it's like, why would I do that with my body? Like I'm not going to override it and say like, no, 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 you, you're going to hang out with her because I want to. It's like, no, we'll take care of you. My body doesn't like Cheryl. So respectfully, we're going to not hang out with her so much anymore. Or I feel like because your brain likes Cheryl, <laughs> excuse me, but your body doesn't, I feel like you could go in again. And if you wanted to hang out with Cheryl again, or if there was something coming up with Cheryl, you could go into it with the awareness of being mindful of how your body feels and seeing when the sensations come on. 
because yeah. I think that could be really insightful. Just like that simple awareness, I think. And would you agree that also if you leave somewhere feeling absolutely drained, and let's say one on one, like so, like if you are an introvert, I know a group setting could be so draining. Let's say you're one on one hanging, you get coffee, and it's an hour, an hour in the morning, so a time where you normally f- and you drink coffee, so you're feeling rejuvenated. Typically, I feel like if you leave that feeling completely depleted, like you could also take a nap would be a huge warning signal. Cause I know I've had those as well. Would you yeah, agree? And, yeah. And it's like, obviously there's times with people that genuine, like generally feel good with, there's a heavy time or something where you're like, wow, that was really draining. But for someone that is chronically making you feel drained. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something to, that's the body obviously right. telling you like, it's very tight. It takes a lot of energy. And also even like going back to like the Cheryl thing, like if you're hanging out with Cheryl and your body feels unsafe, you will be fawning because the Mm -hmm. body will be, is obviously perceiving her as a threat. And when we perceive someone as a threat and we feel unsafe with them, you can either be authentic and maybe your body language gets small and you like or I don't know, maybe you go into fight, but most of us go into fawn or freeze where we get small. And maybe you tell her like, oh, I'm not feeling so good. But maybe in your head, you're thinking, oh no, I I don't want her to think I'm not having a good time. Like, I know that happens with me all the time. So like, look happy, like laugh at her jokes. And then you're, then that's fawning. You're like acting. So, and that's even more draining. I feel like that's what I was going to say. I feel like it could either be that you feel unsafe in the body or that you're putting on such a great show that you've now exerted two times the energy you would have in a normal time frame. And so with that, I kind of, there's two places I kind of want to go. I think I want to hit on grief because you've talked about grief so much and you have been through the ringer with it, with friendships, with family, with death all sorts of chaos. Like I could just, again, in the six months I've known you, I feel like your life has been thrown (laughs) upside down and it's been and a very, like, I don't know the words, like, cause it's an interesting journey. It's a very insightful journey. Like it's been fun to, not fun, but it's been fun (laughs) to reflect with you and learn how you are approaching these situations. So I guess we'll just say like, what would one piece of advice for someone who's grieving something in any form of the word, like what would be your advice to them? Cause I, I think grief is so hard to, it's so shamed. And I mean, just like we, I said, Curly, my fiance went through a big death. It's hard for a lot of people to like grieve that and everyone grieves at their own pace. And so I know my fiance grieved a lot before it even happened, but I know some people are grieving after it happened. And there's, it's so just so unique to the person what would your advice be to like someone who's anywhere on this grief journey? Yeah. Grief sucks. And just for context too, for anyone listening like this, when was it in April or May of this year, I lost my childhood dog that I got when I was 13. She was like the light of my life and she was put down. And that was like the I've never been so devastated by death in my entire life. I like was literally in pieces. And then two weeks after that, I was like still grieving her a lot. My grandpa was put on hospice. And so that was horrible seeing him in the hospital. It's like you said, like grieving before someone has actually passed. That is like so hard and so sickening. And then he passed two weeks after that. And then you're grieving like all the shit that happens when with the will and like money and like seeing like the worst in people. And then after that, I had three friend breakups, like literally back to back. Like I Katie and you say I went through it. Like I literally is so consecutive. And so then I was grieving these friendships and in long-term friendships. Like long-term these, like like you and I breaking up it's like childhood friends yeah one of them was like a friend of 15 years and it was so it was actually so out of nowhere that she broke up with me and it was the day before my birthday I was like I was like is this a surprise party because this like can't be real yeah I was like 
I was like, is, could this be a prank? Like, are they trying to get me somewhere to like have a surprise party? But no, she just was telling me to go fuck myself basically. So yeah, it was a summer of grief in every way. And I think grief also extends beyond like, you know, just someone dying. It's like those little D deaths of like friendship or like family relationships or the breakup of a, a romantic relationship or like it can come in so many different ways even who grief. you were oh like, yeah even who, who you, like I'm grieving right now who I was before I literally look at pictures of who I was in April before I went through this summer of fucking hell and I'm like wow I look so relaxed <laughs> I'm like god I miss the innocence yeah so totally you can grieve like past versions of yourself too but yeah grief I mean I people are so uncomfortable with grief I know that when I was going through everything like I would say like oh yeah so and so just died or whatever and people like I'm so sorry about that are you going to the store later like it there's not a lot of space hold on an held on an individual level or collective level for grief like even when I went to the library and was like looking up psychology books for grief there was like two in the whole library Like there's not a lot of space held for grief in general. And so I would say hold space for your own grief. Like a lot of times because there's such a lack of space held in society for grief, just like the anger thing, we say, okay, this is an unacceptable part of me. I'm going to hide it in the dark basement and not look at it and not acknowledge it. And we'll just, I'm sure it'll go away, but it doesn't go away. And we hide it in these parts of our body. And that's what we did in the grief workshop is like, where is it living in the body? And am I trying to shrink it down? Like what happens when I give it some space and then holding space for the grief, whether that just be like, okay, I feel like my grief is living in my heart. Like, let me put a hand over my heart, like give it some company with this hand. And then like asking your grief, what you need, like does it need a cry? Does it need, for me, when my dog died, I did this activity and my grief said, I need time. Cause I was like trying to say, it's just a dog, Callie. Like you have two weeks to grieve and then get over it. And my grief was like, I need time. And so holding space for your own grief, I think is like the best thing. And I mean, I don't know when the next time I'll do that grief workshop is, but I think I'm going to start holding it privately. So if you're going through grief and you, this is interesting to you, then you can send me a message and I'm going to at some point start holding these on a one-on-one experience. So that'll be even better because you can go even deeper. I think that's a brilliant idea. I just, especially from like being a part of the group one, you know, like, I feel like there would be a level of vulnerability available if there were not strangers there. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively comfortable. And I also understand the importance of like group participation. <laughs> and so I was actively ready to share camera on, but I know if I wasn't Callie's friend and just receiving the wisdom and stuff, I probably would have been cameras off using the chat. And so I think one-on-one is brilliant. And if anyone's going through anything, I couldn't recommend that enough. It's so interesting because when you're talking about grief and like how there's no space for it, I I don't know if I've told you this, but like my grandpa died on Christmas Eve when I was in eighth grade, which is also his mom's birthday, who is alive at the time. And so it was like a double whammy where it's normally her, her birthday dinner. And then everyone went to the hospital and then he passed away and then we came back. But Christmas is the biggest deal in my family. There's nothing like like that is especially that side of the family like it's the coolest day of the year like I love mm-hmm. it. everyone loves it and literally I mean this this side of the family is also in show business and so they understand that the show must go on we have something probably the biggest people pleasers because they are in the <laughs> entertainment industry so they know how to perform when they don't feel well when they don't do anything they're we're just performers I guess mm-hmm. and so thinking about like we just woke up the next day in open presence and not one person cried and not one person said anything, even said the, his name. And I think about that and I see how it wears on, sorry, mom, but my mom, like she can't even say his name without crying these days. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so old. That grief is so old, but because it's never had space, it's probably the size of 
a room. So would you say like giving the space early on, like, what would your advice be for that? Even that situation, like how to approach someone who maybe has like long-term grief that's been undealt with, would it just be like tapping into the body again? Or would you say anything else? Yeah. Holy crap. That's so crazy. Yeah. That like the story that you're sharing, like what I thought of immediately was when I went up North to my grandpa was dying. Like he was, and they wouldn't say it. They were like, I think you should go see grandpa. He's not doing so good. I'm like, well, is he dying? What's happening? (laughs) They won't say it. It's like, and then all of our family friends were like, how's, how's Ray doing? And I'm like, he's dying. Like you need to go see him if you want to see him. Cause he, you like, yeah, it's, it's funny how we, people don't want to say that. I mean, I get it, but also, but when I got off the plane, my aunt picked me up and I hugged her. And also like Grant, like just a reminder, my dog had just passed away two weeks before this too. So I hugged her and I like got weepy and she's like, no, we need to be strong. We need to be Mm. strong for grandma. And I was like, no, like we're allowed to be devastated about this. Like allow yourself to be fucking devastated. Mm. Like, I think absolutely in the moment, shoving it down will do you no good. Like, I know sometimes the show must go on, but in India, they, they're, I have a whole podcast episode on death with a death doula and like death rituals and stuff. In India, when someone dies, they literally separate the men and the women. This for like an upper caste family. I think it's like the Brahmas and they wail. They separate the men and the women because my friend who's Indian said there's, you know, men have certain roles where they have to kind of be like stronger and more put together. So he said this is actually really nice for the men too, because they don't feel like they have to do that when they're separate from the women and they cry and they scream and they wail like as loud as they can, like the louder, the better. And if you think about this, like this is a cultural thing for them, but it probably helps to metabolize that grief that's in the body and that charge that happens in the the absolute devastation whereas mm-hmm. in the west here we're so disconnected from our body not already we're just culturally disconnected from it that yeah i mean if you have this if you lose your dad on christmas eve and then the next day you're opening presents and laughing like nothing happened and years and years go by and you never fully metabolize like what when my dog died I gave myself a somatic practice where I just let myself scream I was screaming curse words I was wailing I was like looked like if you saw me you would have checked me you would have had me committed (laughs) to a hospital because it's like so that grief expressed is like so visceral and so like is that living inside all of us who didn't metabolize that when someone died, Mm. you know? And so, yeah, coming back to it would just be like literally what we did in the workshop where you coming back to where does it live in the body? What does it need from you? And like, what do you have to do? That's why we do the movement practices in the workshop. Cause it's like, it's really less about just like moving and dancing and more about like giving your grief a container. Like, what do you want to do here, grief? Do you want to get on my knees and cry and sob in the fetal position? Do you want to scream? Do you want to punch the air? Like what needs to metabolize in your body for your grief to feel like seen? You know, it never goes away, but it's like, but yeah. I feel like all that was so great. And the, like the, patience. I feel like there has to be a level of patience with grief. Like you said, like you wanted to get two weeks done and Mm -hmm. like, but even if someone's maybe hasn't even had access to their grief or like access to any part because they just shut it off, which is safer and probably more convenient in the moment. And then it shows up in other ways. I feel like for that long-term grief, the patience of thinking how long it took for you to form, how long you've been ignoring it. So have you been ignoring it for let's say like someone's been ignoring their grief for 20 years. We can't come back to your grief and think like, it's just going to be over as quick. Right. Like, would you say it's like an ebbs and flow relationship of like, but I feel like the moment you tap into it and you get access to it, a little pressure is relieved. It's like the balloon. Like, I feel like 
it doesn't take one breath to blow up the mm-hmm. balloon and it doesn't I mean technically you could like just let it go and it would but it's still not like it still takes a couple seconds for the thing to go and so yeah I just think I'm reminding about patience too with all of this so in I feel like we're kind of at the end of the episode with time and stuff and so I know you talk about inner villain and venom and I want to talk about the journey to the dark goddess and so maybe let's go with like say a couple things like or just like what it means to you to tap into this villain side and slash how that correlates with venom any like plug with venom and then we could talk about a few more things that we have in store yeah yeah so if if especially the people pleasing part, the grief part is actually a part of Venom too, because it's like grieving those relationships that may end or change as we move into our true self. But especially if the people pleasing part of this podcast resonates with you, Venom might be for you. It's a, so it's a two month container, eight weeks. There's six somatic shadow work sessions on Zoom. There's two Q&As, and then there's going to be one bonus session. So we'll be doing anger and rage integration. We'll be doing a lot of creating a really deep sense of safety in the body because like, why do we people please? Why do we binge eat? Why do we reach for anything that comforts us? It's because we are feeling a lack of safety. So it's like, how can we cultivate that safety in ourselves? And then we'll be working with the archetype of the inner villain through somatic parts work, teen stuff, creating capacity to be disliked. So like, can you handle someone looking at you and maybe not liking you? Like, how does that feel? Do you have the capacity for that? And how can we create that. So if you're interested, definitely check out my socials or you can send me a DM on Instagram or email me at gmail.com. And then, yeah, the, amazing. Yeah. And then we have an event where Callie and I are co-hosting on October 21st and it is called the journey to the dark goddess. And I'll let Callie kind of take it away. Yeah, so this one's in person in Costa Mesa, California at Herbiculture, Herbiculture, I don't know, yoga. It's a beautiful studio. It's a really cool studio with a super, like, edgy, I don't know, it has a really cool vibe, like the walls are painted in neon colors. And so in this workshop, we'll be accessing that inner villain within us and like learning to embody her through movement. Katie will be like leading some movement and embodiment practices to like bring out different parts of the inner villain and then a practice to have that part of you be seen witnessed and loved and then we'll also be doing somatic parts work with this so kind of like finding where she lives in the body and then asking having conversation with her like what do you need from me and how I can think I if you yeah resonated with the people pleasing part of this episode just like venom would be great for you. I think this would be great for you too. If you're yeah. looking for a taste, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable diving in with this is in person where venom is online and six weeks or eight weeks, eight mm-hmm. weeks. And yeah, I'm so excited for it because I think this is such a part of us. That's like shamed. It might even sound scary, but I hope, you know, we're like the least scary people. <laughs> yeah. Like, like obviously I- what we're doing is not going to be dark and threatening in any way. It's just shining light into parts of ourselves that maybe like haven't had the light show like shown on them ever or has been told mm-hmm. that's bitchy or told that's wrong or that you shouldn't be angry just be a good girl it's like kind of rejecting the good girl morale and we're just gonna like have a freaking blast yeah and it's like I know both me and Katie like you teach really gently I teach really gently like yeah the marketing's all intense but like truly we both know like like it's best done gently. So it's like, it'll, it'll be really gentle and really fun. And yeah, we're, so it'll be October 21st from 6.30 to 8.30 PM. It's $40 for two hours. And we're asking everyone that comes to dress up as your dark goddess alter ego. So we'll be like there and like, I'll, I know I'll be wearing like leather and fishnets and stuff like that. My favorite so. part is the costume part, especially because it's close yeah. to Halloween. All right. So last question of the episode is what I ask everyone. And that is what advice do you need to give yourself right now? Hmm. I think to have, I'm still in the fire right now. Like I was saying like, oh, this summer's been crazy. I'm still in it. So I think just having patience that like, I'll come out a diamond and like, 
you know, just the patience, like you said earlier. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Patience. Yeah. Thank you, Callie. Where can people find you and what's the best way to reach you and sign up for Venom? Yeah. So I'm on social media on TikTok and Instagram at Callie Klug Yoga. And then if you, the best way to reach me is probably through email. So Callie Klug Yoga at gmail.com. You can always DM me on Instagram as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful for you and this episode and your friendship and for all that's coming up. And I'm so excited to just see Venom be incredible and for our journey to the dark goddess to be incredible and yeah all right thank you all for listening and we will see you in the next episode if you enjoyed today's episode please send it to a friend tag us on instagram at, at so she is underscore podcast and leave a five-star review so we can help build grow and expand this podcast to anyone who it needs to reach thanks so much and we'll see you in the next episode